Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. So we're going to get started on the ABCs of ABGs. Now, you know, this is a fairly rudimentary, basic kind of uh, talk that I'm going to do today. But this recent uh, COVID experience has taught me that there's several people, even experienced perfusionists, that maybe could use a little bit of extra a little refresher refresher yeah mm -hmm. on uh, on abgs and what they are a lot of the work that i uh that i put together here comes from dr paula zanninger um with her uh, uh excellent review that she did abg interpretation and some of the quizzes that i have afterwards come from lewis potter um also an abg interpretation uh resource that exists on the web so there's a lot of resources a tremendous number in textbooks and uh and different publications that exist that we can use to uh to uh, learn more about blood gases and what they really mean so uh so let's go ahead and get started this is more for perfusion but there's obviously some things that we spent a lot of time in the icu that may be more germane to there um, very important for us to understand reference ranges. The normal pH runs between 7.35 and 7.45. PaCO2 runs between 32 uh, 35.2 and 45. Um, and of course, on the left side, I have it in kilopascals. And on the right, we have it in millimeters of mercury in order to accommodate our European um, and Asiatic colleagues that may use KPA versus millimeters of mercury. PaO2 runs between 82.5 and 97.5, and that would be on room air. Uh, bicarb normally is between 22 and 26 milliequivalents per liter, and the base excess runs between negative 2 and plus 2 millimoles per liter. And something that I think is very is it may be very helpful for people to realize is let's just take a pH of 7.40. 7.40 and a PCO2 of 40. Okay. That is in terms of acid base when you're trying to evaluate the same as saying 7.35 and 45. That's a balanced, a balanced equation, for lack of a better way to describe it, which would be the same as 7.45 and 35. So your pH and your PCO2 are tremendously interrelated with each other and that's important to remember and you'll see as we go a little bit further on in this so before getting stuck on details of any blood gas analysis it's really important to look at the actual patient and their current clinical status as this provides essential context and context context is extremely important when you're reviewing ABG results. And below are you're going to see a couple of examples that demonstrate how context is important. 
So a normal PaO2 in a patient on high flow oxygen will say, well, it may be a normal PaO2, but the condition is very abnormal because one would expect the PaO2 to be extremely high with that kind of oxygen therapy. So just because the PaO2 of a blood gas you get says 108 or 120, maybe even 150, you have to look at the context, what is going on with that patient at the time that blood gas was drawn and what should that number be under normal circumstances. A very low PaO2, on the other hand, in a patient who is doing very well, there are no issues, is not, patient's not short of breath, patient has normal O2 saturated, has normal O2 saturations on their pulse ox, well, it's more than likely going to be a venous sample. Yes. You have to look at the whole picture and not overreact to something. But you also have to see these clues, not just in that particular vacuum, but you draw blood gas, things aren't really looking good. You look at it and the color doesn't look quite right. It looks really dark. Well, you have to ask yourself in that circumstance, is the patient's hemoglobin very, very high? Because a lot of times a very high crit will give you a darker looking mm -hmm. sample for the same saturation. Whereas you draw it and it looks very, very, very bright, even though your pulse ox is reading low and you're like, man, that looks pretty red. But then you hold it up to a light source uh, and you see that you can almost see through it you're likely looking at a very low hematocrit or hemoglobin. So you have to look at everything in totality and never just one number. Your first question whenever looking at a blood gas is, should always be, is the patient hypoxic? And because I mean, it's obvious that hypoxemia is the most immediately life-threatening problem that you may have. So a PaO2 should be greater than 10 kPa or 75 millimeters of mercury when oxygenating on room air in a normal, healthy patient. If the patient is receiving oxygen therapy, their PaO2 should be approximately 10 uh, KPA, 75 millimeters of mercury, less than the percent of inspired concentration FiO2. Now, that only works just so that we can have some context here when you're using KPA. You cannot use this formula or this, this, this indicator, if you will, if you're not using KP, KPA or if you're using millimeters of mercury. So, give you an example. If the patient is on 40% oxygen, you expect the PaO2 to be 10 minus that in kPa, 30 kPa. And then you can calculate what 30 kPa actually okay. means, which would be 225. So for those people looking at that going, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense in millimeters of mercury. It only makes sense in KPA. And forgive my uh, my shameless uh, plugging of my app. You can say, just go can to the app <laughs> and convert KPA to millimeters of mercury and get your answer and everybody's going to be happy.
Okay, if the uh, PaO2 is less than 10 kPa or 75 millimeters mercury in air, on room air, a patient is considered to be hypoxemic. If the PaO2 is less than 60 millimeters of mercury on room air, a patient is considered to be severely hypoxemic and is in respiratory failure. And of course, we've discussed many times the PF ratio, PaO2 to FiO2 ratio and what all of those things mean. And that's a whole nother, you know, talk and, and, and trail we can take, but we're just gonna keep it simple. And that's what we're gonna look at here today. There are two types of respiratory failure. There's a type one and there's a type two. Type one respiratory failure is characterized by hypoxemia, PaO2 less than 60, with normal uh, or normal capnic or normal capnia. You have a PaCO2 of 45. So your CO2 is normal, but you are hypoxic. Type two respiratory failure, on the other hand, is characterized by a PaO2 of less than eight kPa or 60 millimeters of mercury with hypercapnia or elevated PCO2 uh, greater than six kPa or greater than 45 millimeters of mercury. So type one, type two differences. Type one is a, an oxygenation problem with normal CO2 Type two is an oxygenation problem with a CO2 uh, pro, uh, clearance uh, problem or elevation. So in type one respiratory failure, and up on the top, top left, you see the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. On the side, you, the right side, you see the CO2 dissociation curve. Type one respiratory failure involves, as I said, hypoxemia with normal capnia. It occurs as a result of a ventilation perfusion VQ mismatch. Now remember, we've talked about this many times. You can have a VQ mismatch of the lungs. You can have a VQ mismatch of your ECMO circuit. So everything I'm telling you here, you can translate into your extracorporeal oxygenator uh, when you're using, when you're doing ECMO or even in the operating room. The volume of air flowing in and out of the lungs is not matched with the blood flow to the lung tissue. As a result, the VQ mismatch, the PO2 falls and the PCO2 rises. The rise in PCO2 rapidly triggers an increase in a patient's overall alveolar ventilation. They start hyperventilating, which corrects the PCO2, but not the PaO2. This is due to the different shapes of the CO2 and O2 dissociation curves, which I just mm -hmm. showed you up on the top. The end result is hypoxemia with normocapnia, type one respiratory failure, reduced ventilation, and normal perfusion, as in pulmonary edema or bronchoconstriction, or reduced perfusion with normal ventilation, which would be the case with pulmonary emboli. Hmm. Okay, all going good so far? I haven't mm -hmm. gotten one goat. No goat yet. Type two respiratory failure, remember we talked about this, it's hypoxemia and hypercapnia. Type two respiratory failure is characterized by hypoxemia with hypercapnia. It occurs as a result of alveolar hypoventilation, which prevents the patient from being able to adequately oxygenate and 
eliminate CO2 from their blood. Hypoventilation can occur for a number of reasons. Increased resistance as a result of airway obstruction or decreased compliance, which we saw a lot of mm -hmm. with decreased, very stiff lungs uh, with COVID. Could be pneumonia, could be rib fracture, could be obesity. You know, we see this all of the time. We have a patient, they're on an Avalon catheter. We have them on VV ECMO. They are morbidly obese. They have a big, giant abdomen, and they're lying flat. Mm -hmm. And that abdomen is pushing up on their thoracic cavity, making it even smaller. And just by sitting that patient up, and sometimes it's a reverse Trendelenburg, to drop that belly down, you'll see their peak pressures on their ventilator drop significantly. And so you really have to consider all of these different reasons for why am I having resistance to my ventilation? Is it a fibrotic problem, a primary uh, pulmonary pr uh, uh, problem from inflammatory processes? Is it an airway obstruction? Of course, there's different ways of finding all that stuff out, but that's a Again, a ventilator discussion, another discussion that we can have. Maybe we could play with our ventilator uh, simulator and show those differences, I think, during one of our next presentations. I can maybe get Min to do that because he is an expert at ventilators. That he much is. I can assure you. Um, hypoventilation, we discussed the different reasons that can occur. Increased res airway resistance, reduced compliance, Guillain-Barre, uh, neuromuscular blockade, it's kind of wearing off, but they're still weak. Uh, any drugs acting on the respiratory center, reducing overall ventilation such as opiates, or just really not having the vent tuned properly. If you have a patient who is completely ventilatory dependent and also on ECMO. pH. Seemingly very small abnormalities in pH have significant and wide-spanning effects on the physiology of the human body. Not just that. So therefore, paying close attention to the pH abnormalities is very essential. But we say this a lot. We have a patient who is doing poorly. They're, they're, for whatever reason, they have a major perfusion deficit. They're, 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 we're giving them pressors. We're giving them Neo. We're giving them... Uh, uh, nor epi, we're giving them vaso, we're giving epi, and we're not seeing any real effect. And then we get our blood gas results back, and our pH is 7.12. So we slam in a bunch of bicarb, and as soon as we get the bicarb in, all those drugs start to work. Pressors and inotropes do not work well in an acidic environment. It needs some level of neutrality. So something to be aware of when you are fighting a pressure or fighting uh, uh, cardiac contractility to consider what the pH may be. Um, and to be frank with you, I mean, very little harm is going to come from giving an amp of bicarb, even if somebody actually didn't need it, uh, but it's going to be tremendously beneficial. The risk-benefit ratio, in my view, is uh, you're having that problem, draw the lab if you want, give the bicarb, because I can assure you you're going to need it.
Um, there's the basic acidotic alkalotic pHs. They're relatively narrow ranges. We need to consider the driving force, however, behind the pH change. Broadly speaking, the causes can be either metabolic or respiratory, and they can be combined. It can be both. Mm -hmm. The changes in pH are caused by an imbalance in CO2, or which is respiratory, or bicarb, which is metabolic. These work as buffers to keep the pH within a set range, and when there is an abnormality in either of these, the pH will be outside of the normal range. And we will normally do things ourselves in our own physiology to keep that pH within normal range, right? You, know, you see a patient who is uh, metabolically acidotic from, let's say, diabetic ketoacidosis, what are they doing? <sighs> They're trying to blow off all their CO2 to make their pH come up. Mm -hmm. So when you have an acidic situation, you'll make yourself respiratorily alkalotic in order to try and correct the metabolic acidotic derangement. Um, as a result, when an ABG demonstrates alkalosis or acidosis, you need to then begin considering what is the driver for this abnormality by moving through what's going to be our next few steps of this lecture. So PaCO2, and I put a star right there because I want to tell you, I have, and I mentioned this, I think just the other day, when I get a call or I call somebody or somebody calls me and says, you know, the pH is 7.19, that's good. But that's just not enough. Right. You need, you need some more clues. You need a lot more clues. Actually, really, you really only need one other piece of information to know whether it is respiratory or metabolic. You only need one. CO2. That's it. PaCO2. That's why I put it on this slide. That's why I put that star there. Mm-hmm. Oh. But it's helpful to know the bicarb as well because you could have multiple things going on. Clearly, yes, that's true. But keep this in mind. And this is very, very, remember what I just showed you a minute ago. If you tell me the pH is 7.19 and I say, well, that's good. What's the PCO2? Mm -hmm. And they tell me it's 38. I know full well that is purely metabolic acidosis. But if they tell you it's 45. But if they tell me it's 45, I can do my, uh, let me see how I do, how I can make that go away. Okay, so we'll make it 45, 45. A 45 PAC, PCO2 should be in, with, with it being totally normal, this is just a, this is just, not meant to be very, very specific, but it's a really good guide. Okay. A 45 should be 7.35 mm -hmm. with a 45. If 7.40 is 40, seven, it goes the opposite direction, right? right? PCO2 goes up, pH mm -hmm. goes down. Okay. So I can look at this and say that is 15 off 20 35 16 off mm -hmm. so i can look at this and say that my base deficit on this particular 
blood gas is going to be somewhere around minus 12. I can give you a pretty good, I could guess what that bicarb is going to by be. By the difference. By the difference, right. So if I say 735, then it would be 7.3050. Yeah. 7.2. And you're assuming the patient. Two would be 60. So I would need a PCO2 of 60. I said 14, I meant 15, the base deficit. The PCO2 would have to be 60. The pH would be 7.2 to reach this 7.19, but it's only 45. That's a 15 point difference. That's about what your base deficit's going to be. Assuming it's, their base deficit is normally around zero. Correct. Yeah. There's that that something hasn't been going on for mm -hmm. them to have some other type of metabolic compens compensatory mechanism yeah. because of a chronic illness. That is true. It's this is not perfect, but it works. It's clever. It's really it, it is clever. It's really good when you're on bypass or you uh and you're you're just going on bypass and you're doing your case and you get a blood gas and you see this it's 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 for the acute change it's very or you just something changes but it's acute and it's not a chronic problem this is a very easy way to know how much bicarb you might need how much uh, CO2 you might need to blow off, all of that kind of stuff to achieve. So if we could just remember 7.4 should be 40. Yes. Then you can figure everything else out. Correct. For every point up on PCO2, you need a second decimal point, point zero, point zero one yeah. drop in pH. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm glad you like my little idea. It's one of my ideas. That's a, Basha, um, that's a Basha idea. But I'll never get credit for it. Don't worry. It's like anything else. Before you know it, somebody, and probably somebody we know, it'll be, it'll, it will become their idea. You have to name it something that's catchy. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the PCO2 at this point, prior to assessing the CO2, you already know the pH. And remember, we talked about this earlier, you know the PAO2 because yeah. that's the most, that's the thing that's going to hurt the patient the quickest. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you may know that your patient's pH is abnormal, but you don't yet know the underlying cause. It could be caused by the respiratory system, abnormal level of CO2, or metabolically driven, abnormal level of bicarb. Looking at the level of CO2 quickly helps rule in or out the respiratory system as the cause of the derangement. For example, you look at the bicarb level here, and so quickly look at the PCO2, I'm sorry, PCO2 here, pH is low, PCO2 is elevated, bicarb is normal, it is purely respiratory. Mm -hmm. You have respiratory alkalosis, the pH is elevated, the PCO2 is down, but the bicarb is normal. That is going to be completely respiratory alkalotic. Whereas if you have a pH which is de decreased or normal and a PCO2 that is elevated and a bicarb that is also elevated, you have a respiratory acidosis with metabolic compensation. And that's because you see the pH is relatively, if the pH 
is then it, that that amount of compensation could be can be more or less. And we get, we're going to get into a little more of that moving forward. Respiratory alkalosis with metabolic compensation is characterized by an elevated or normal pH, a decrease in PCO2, and a decrease in bicarb. So hmm. you uh, excrete more bicarb or you uh, reabsorb more hydrogen ions in order to try and keep the pH uh, more normal. You don't want the pH to be really, 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 really high when you have a really low PCO2. But those are compensatory mechanisms that uh, definitely take time. Hmm. So now we all have seen this. We all know the Henderson-Hasselbalch equation, uh, and there's a big, long write-up about it here. Uh, very sort of easily CO2 and water form carbonic acid, and that is a reversible equation, which you see by the arrows going both directions. Bicarb and hydrogen ions form together for uh, carbonic acid, and that's also a weak acid, which can then go over and be blown off and turn into CO2 and water. So both of these, as you see, are reversible directions so that you can adjust your, P, your CO2 level and your hydrogen ion level with, through your respiratory component. And that's basically the Henderson-Hasselbalch equation. Uh, the kidneys participate in this as well. So we need to ask ourselves, is the CO2, that's all I'm gonna say about the Henderson-Hasselbalch equation. Okay. Is the C, unless you have any questions. I do not. Okay. Is this, so we need to ask ourselves, is the CO2 normal or abnormal? Well, here it's going to be in this first example. It's going to be normal. Um, if abnormal, which it's not, so we're going to go down to first abnormal one. Does this abnormality fit with the current pH? In other words, if the CO2 is high, it would make sense that the pH was low. Remember my little formula, mm -hmm. seven, if the PCO2 is 50. The pH is low. You expect the pH to be 7.3. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, uh, it would make sense pH was low, suggesting this was more likely a respiratory acidosis. If the abnormality in CO2 doesn't make sense as the cause of the pH abnormality, in other words, your 7.29 PCO2 is 35, that doesn't make sense because you would expect the pH to be 7.45, right? Mm -hmm. E.g. the number or the normal CO, decreased CO2 and decreased pH it would suggest that the underlying cause for the pH abnormality is metabolic. But you can have compensation. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that. You have metabolic acidosis, pH is down, bicarb is down, PCO2 normal. Metabolic alkalosis, pH is up, bicarb is up, CO2 is normal. You can have a metabolic acidosis with respiratory compensation. So your pH is down, your bicarb is down, your CO2 is down because your CO2 is trying to drive, you're trying to blow all of this off in order to have more of this. 
and then metabolic alkalosis with respiratory compensation. So your pH is elevated, your bicarb level is elevated, and your CO2 level is also elevated because you're trying to drive the PCO2 down. So you decrease your ventilatory rate or you decrease, decrease your tidal volume. There's going to be some respiratory response to an elevated pH in order to get the pH to come back down. So give somebody a bunch of bicarbonate, you're going to depress their respiratory drive. They're going to slow down their breathing. Correct. Mm -hmm. The base excess is another surrogate marker of metabolic acidosis or alkalosis. A high base indicates there's a higher than normal amount of bicarb in the blood, which may be due to primary metabolic alkalosis or a compensated respiratory acidosis. This is something we see a lot of on long-term ECMOs. Yep. Patients that have ARDS who are on ECMO for a very long time who were trying to do very minimal vent uh, 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 contribution to do a vent lung protective lung, strategy. Lung protection. Right. And we're also now accepting, and this is a very, very interesting, I think, potentially um, debatable topic, but some people believe that by a, that, that the patient, the post ECMO ARDS patient is going to remain hypercapnic mm -hmm. for the remainder of their life. And that the only way to manage that patient is to allow for metabolic compensation to take place. So rather than correcting the PCO2 to 40 on ECMO, they allow the PCO2 to continue to rise. And as long as the pH remains above either 7.29 or 7.3, whichever, either at 7.3 or 7.29 and above, to allow for the uh, kidneys and the body's physiology to start retaining bicarb and getting your bicarb level much higher. And you'll see these patients with very high bar bicarb levels, 48, I've seen 48. You're teaching um, the body, you're allowing the body to teach itself to how to survive. Correct, yes. So, and that to correct, right, to correct that pH. Right. So, because acutely it can't. Yes. It can do it when it's a compensatory chronic problem right. or a chronic problem that now has a compensatory mechanism because it takes learns. several days. Yes. Uh, but I have seen PCO2, I've seen pHs of 7.34 and a PCO2 of 90. Yeah. We've saw frequently some in the high 60s. Yes. I think, I think some per permissive hypercapnia is fine in order to help reduce the uh, lung trauma from the vent or the whatever it may be. I, I, I think there's that, but I'm not so sure. I, you know, I didn't see good results from it, but it was a theory and it was a good theory. It was smart. I totally get it. 
but I didn't see good results from allowing it to get much over 60. Well, except that we had the worst situations to be able to try to test this out, right? We had, these were our COVID patients at mm -hmm. some locations and they were very, uh, very, very sick. So mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see this on a different type of ARDS patient, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, possibly so. So a very low base excess indicates there is a lower than normal amount of bicarb in the blood, suggesting either a primary metabolic acidosis or a compensa uh, compensated respiratory alkalosis. Mm -hmm. So it can go both ways. So want to touch on compensation uh, a little bit additional for clarification. Respiratory acidosis and alkalosis changes in CO2 can be metabolically compensated by increasing or decreasing the level of bicarb in an attempt to move the pH closer to the normal range. Metabolic acidosis and alkalosis changes in bicarb can be compensated by the respiratory system retaining or blowing off CO2 in an attempt to move the pH in the normal range. So both of these systems are what their goal is either way, either decreasing the level of bicarb or increasing the level or decreasing the level of CO2 is to adjust the pH. That's what's actually being adjusted or dealt with here. Uh, it's the driver, if you will. Mm -hmm. the, in respiratory compensation for a metabolic disorder can be immediate. It can happen very, very quickly. Okay, you can blow off CO2 really fast. Of course, we call those patients when they're doing that and they're hyperventilating. We call them, especially when they're, they're doing it for a metabolic acidosis um, and not just anxiety, they're tachypnic, right? Mm -hmm. And they will eventually get very tired. They get very sleepy. Very tired. And they will, that, that, that's, uh, that's something you need to address. That is a, that's an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. Metabolic compensation for respiratory disorders, however, takes at least a few days. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but sort of the point that I'm trying to make to you here is that if you see something that is compensatory, you can assure yourself this has been going on for a while. Right. Right. So any change that appears to be that's a, that, is, that is a required metabolic compensation, not respiratory compensation, that wouldn't make sense. Anything that you see that is a metabolically compensated state, the condition of the patient has been there for at least a few days and possibly even longer. I think that's what I'm trying to convey uh, with this particular just slide. Happen. Correct, didn't just happen. Respiratorily, however, that's a different story. Right. It's also important to mention that you can have mixed acidosis and alkalotic states. Um, you know, such as respiratory and metabolic acidosis, respiratory and metabolic alkalosis. In these circumstances, the CO2 and the bicarb will be moving in opposite directions. For example, the CO2 is going up and the bicarb is going down. In mixed respiratory 
and metabolic acidosis. The CO2 going up makes the pH go down. The bicarb going down makes the pH go down. So this is a bad situation because you have two forces now driving the pH down. It's mixed acidosis. Uh, this is a mixed respiratory and metabolic acidosis. Right. So it's both, not out one being acidosis, one being alkalosis. And they're caused by different compete. things, right? So you have to treat the different things? Absolutely. Treatment is directed towards correcting each primary acid-base disturbance. So though they are work, they are both sort of being reviewed on the same sheet of paper, your blood gas, and both seemingly have the same effect on the pH, they are, you have to take both of them and separate them and figure out why is this one doing this and why is this one doing that and treat each one individually in order to bring things back mm -hmm. into homeostasis. One of my favorite words. It's my, it's my word of 2022, homeostasis. Causes of acid-based disturbances. So far, we've discussed how to determine what the disturbance is. And once we have established that, we need to consider the underlying pathology that is driving whatever that disturbance may be. So respiratory acidosis is caused by inadequate alveolar ventilation leading to CO2 retention. A respiratory acidosis would have the following characteristics, decreased pH, increased CO2. Now that is caused by inadequate alveolar ventilation. It's also caused by inadequate sweep gas across our oxygenators, uh, whether it be on cardiopulmonary bypass or ECMO. In fact, it is really interesting that you can have, and Tammy, you have firsthand experience with this. I do too. Mm -hmm. You can have a PO2 of, on bypass of 300 and a PCO2 of 120. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, what the heck is going on? Not the valve, they're not using CO2 flush. This is just this, a regular coronary on, case. Yeah, this is on bypass. Standard cabbage. Yeah. And you turn your sweet gas up and the PCO2 stays well over 100. But your PO2 is great. You find a leak. Mm -hmm. in it's not your, an oxygenator problem. Not an oxygenator. You have very low sweep gas. Yeah. So if you remember the, 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 the you graphs I showed you. of sweep gas. You're right. Your <laughs> O2 transfer is much easier and much faster, whether it be in the lung or whether it be in the artificial lung, than is your CO2 transfer. We know that, right? Mm -hmm. This is something we all know. Yeah. So a sweep of 0.5 liters going through your ECMO will give you a pretty good PO2, but your PCO2 is gonna be through the roof. So. It works both ways, whether want, it be... Since we brought it up, do you want to go ahead and talk about where that leak is likely occurring? No, you can. So if you ever see that on bypass, because I went many, many years without ever seeing that, um, it's likely you have a leak uh, related to your anesthetic gas vaporizer. Mm -hmm. You have a crack in your line or something and it can be or the cap's not on or the cap or loose on. or not secured it's or it's not locked not locked right 
Um, mine in particular was a very, very small crack in the connector uh, of where the sweep gas went in and out of the vaporizer. So, mm -hmm. um, and it was something that you really couldn't hear escaping necessarily unless you were looking we for it. We had to clamp the line and turn the gas way, way up just to hear it. We found it, but yeah, it took us a while. Yeah, we found it, but it took, us, it took us a minute. So quickest thing to do if you ever see that is go straight to an oxygen tank uh, or isolate out your vaporizer and just uh, yes. blow in 100% oxygen on your, from your pump. Yes, absolutely. And I wanted to uh, uh, keep keep mentioning things because I wanted to bring somebody up here um, who okay. has a really cool tool. I don't know if you remember or not. I'm looking for his name. I don't know why I always blank on his name. I oh, buddy yeah. Up in the, Cleveland. He has the... Uh... That wheel that goes... I meet. Yeah. Yeah, the meat wheel. Yeah. yeah. That goes around and that you can actually see the flow and you would really be able, I think, to appreciate that uh that lo that loss you would see it slower yeah. so you would probably be able to find a leak a little bit easier um i and showed a video of it one time on one of our programs it's really cool it's very cool and one thing you could do uh pre-bypass to check for that because you're likely not going to have made uh, the the small crack or the the uh your tubing is not suddenly become um uh, hard and, and, and uh, cracking because it's old on your bypass run is right. to um, go ahead and clamp your O2 line into your oxygenator while you have your sweep gas and your vaporizer on and you should see that your sweep gas goes down to nearly zero. Yes, because, should. Yes, because then you're testing to see does it have any other way to get out. Yeah, but right? don't turn it on 10 liters and no, do it. Just put it much. on two or three. Two or three liters. It'll go to zero. It'll drop to zero. Yeah, you and take a, it off it's and a slow you'll drop. feel that pressure. But that's a, that's a pre-bypass thing that you could do to go ahead and check the integrity of that system. Absolutely. I, and I do that too. I do that still to this day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, I take it off and I, I, I breathe the, I still breathe the, the gas, oh, but yeah. I always make sure I do it distal to the filter filter yeah, it because needs to be that distal. filter can crack as well. Yeah. It needs to be distal to your filter. It needs to be right before your oxygenator. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can just take it off and put your finger over the hole. Yeah, you can do that. Um, and I have seen it, uh, as well where the vaporizer itself was needing calibration at some point and it had some sort of internal mm -hmm. thing where it yeah. wasn't locking down properly yeah the vaporizer was malfunctioning mm -hmm. well i mean one time i i i didn't do that i didn't do what i normally do i i skipped a step usually nothing ever goes right when you nothing do that Nothing goes right when you do and that. i went on bypass i opened the venous line up and i opened the arterial line up and and it, I didn't, I didn't even wait. Like it happened immediately, and I realized I haven't hooked my gas lines up yet. And so I, you had some black blood. So I, no, I never did. Oh. I no, the the crystalloid was still coming down when I realized oh, it, and fast. I got it connected really fast. Of course, you hear the alarm go off, and of course, my my the chair that I had went flying across the room and you hit the wall. You know, yeah, <laughs> I think I slipped and fell once or twice. <laughs> got it all connected and everybody's like is everything okay and i walked back to the pump and i was like blood's red looks good we're on pump you want clamp <laughs> <laughs> like, that's 
the kind of thing that <laughs> takes years of experience to learn how to solve, problem solve, maybe make a little noise, but then be completely calm and let everyone know everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. Everything's yeah, fine yeah. now. Are, I mean, are you okay? Yeah. Uh, we're cooling. Okay. <laughs> Causes of respiratory acidosis include respiratory depression from opiates or uh, whatever, Guillain-Barre, paralysis, of course, leads to, uh, uh, to uh, 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 decreased ventilation, mm -hmm. inability to adequately ventilate with asthma, chronic obstructive COPD, iatrogenic, incorrect mechanical ventilation settings. You can have ventilators leak. You can have ET tubes leak. You can have... Uh, 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 balloon leaks in the in the ET tube. There's all kinds of things that can cause that problem. So a respiratory acidosis, all that tells you is that you are there's inadequate alveolar or oxygenator ventilation. Mm -hmm. Yes, very important difference because we're not talking about hypoxia here. We're talking about respiratory acidosis. Different. Yes. Respiratory alkalosis, on the other hand, you know, you have a, a, a reduced PaCO2 and an increase in pH. Uh, you would know, characterized by that uh, causes anxiety, panic attack, hyperventilation, pain. You have an ECMO patient who is has high anxiety, is uncomfortable, overbreathing the vent, doing all those things that can affect your blood gases. Of course, also if they're very, very, very tenuous, that extra movement can sometimes even cause your O2 uh, uh, consumption to go up yes. sufficiently. And if they're right on the edge, you do start to end up hypoxic, which then exacerbates the anxiety. And right. it's, uh, you know, they so, can't catch their breath. Yeah, making people comfortable is really tough when you're trying to wake them up so that you can ambulate them. And, yeah, uh, we saw a lot, a lot of, of that. It was it was mm -hmm. like watching someone be just in agony. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, hypoxia, obviously, it resulting in increased alveolar ventilation in an attempt to compensate. Uh, pulmonary embolism, pneumothorax. Uh, that's something we saw a lot of, even on mechanical ventilation with pneumothorax. Now, a pneumothorax without mechanical ventilation is one presentation on mechanical ventilation. It's a totally different presentation and uh, can be very severe, very extreme. Uh, and obviously it can be iatrogenic, meaning that we are causing it by excessive mechanical ventilation. Metabolic acidosis can occur as a result of either increased acid production or acid ingestion, decreased acid excretion, or rate of gastrointestinal and renal bicarb loss. So either of those two things. Uh, a metabolic acidosis would have the following characteristics on a blood gas, decreased pH, decreased bicarb, and the concurrent or co uh, concomitant decrease in base excess, uh, which would be a base deficit. Right? Base deficit, right. Um, metabolic alkalosis occurs as a result of decreased, John did a program on this, decreased hydrogen mm -hmm. ion concentration yeah. leading to increased bicarbonate or alternately a direct result of increased bicarbonate concentrations. A metabolic alkalosis is characterized by increased pH, increased bicarb, increased base excess. So it goes the exact opposite way. Acidosis, decreased pH, decreased bicarb, and a, and a base deficit, 
alkalosis increased on all three. Mm -hmm. Causes of metabolic alkalosis include the gastrointestinal loss of hydrogen ions yep. from, let's say, vomiting or diarrhea, renal loss of hydrogen ions when you're using loop and any loop diuretic or mm -hmm. uh, hydrochlorothiazide or HC, HCTZ diuretics, heart failure, nef uh, nephrotic syndrome, cirrhosis, and uh, con syndrome. It's, what is I con had to syndrome? look it up. It's uh, some kind of uh, abnormal secretion of aldosterone or something oh. like aldosterone. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't know what it was either. I looked it up, but it's not something we're going to have much uh, involvement with, but it was there. Um, and then, of course, you can have iatrogenic, which we talked about, which is giving the patient too much bicarb. And a lot of times, you know, when we do these cases, uh, we're using CRRT. Uh, and the a lot of the bags have bicarbs of 32, mm -hmm. which is higher than what is normal, right? right? 24 is more normal. So you have to be careful um, about the fluid selection. Well, yeah, you can get bicarbs of 30, 32, and even 35. Um, so you do tend to start seeing over time uh, that metabolic alkalotic effect from mm -hmm. high volume CRRT. You can see that. But if the patient is struggling with either bicarb production or clearance of hydrogen ions, sometimes you see nothing. You really need that elevated bicarb level. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of it is it's a, it's a bicarb-based fluid, not sodium-based, and far superior than a sodium bicarb drip where you have to then be concerned it's about, about hypernatremia, which right. is not uncommon either in these cases. Um, anion gap, I, you know, I'm going to, uh, in the interest of time, uh, I'm going to skip it. It's, it's interesting, it's academic, uh, but it is, uh, I, I don't know how germane it is to us. The formula is the sodium minus the chloride plus HCO3. So right. take chloride and HCO3 and subtract, subtract it from sodium. sodium, and that's your anion gap. I mean, Somewhere normal is between four and 12. Yeah, I was gonna say that's, for most basic knowledge, that's really all you need. Yeah, I'm gonna keep it simple. People can read it if they'd like to and go through it. Um, we can have mixed respiratory and metabolic acidosis. Um, obviously, that is a big problem when you have both decreased pH, increased PCO2, decreased bicarb, it's cardiac arrest, multi-organ failure, big problem. And you can have mixed respiratory and milk, metabolic alkalosis. I'm going to get right to the quiz. And I got to thank quiz? Liz. Yes, quizzes. Pop quiz. I'm going to thank Liz. Pop quiz. Thank Liz, uh, Liz Porter, uh, Potter for this. Quiz one. PaO2 is 53, pH 7.29, PCO2 68, bicarb 26, base excess plus one. What is the problem? Why did you make the print so small? Mm. Can you make it bigger? That's you, that's your, that's your presentation. Oh, is there anything I can do to make it bigger? No, that one's better, but it's okay. Let's just get through it. Okay, so we've got 53, 7.29, 68, mm -hmm. 26, and plus one. Mm -hmm. 53. So, we know the PO2 is okay. You know, yeah. is, is okay it's 53. okay. Yep. pH is acidotic. PCO2 is elevated. Bicarb is normal. So we know it's not a chronic problem. Uh huh. 
So it's an acute problem. So it's acute mm -hmm. respiratory, respiratory acidosis. acidosis. Correct. Exactly. Okay, hopefully this one's better. Yeah, that one's bigger. Okay. Okay. This one, your PaO2 is 68, so the patient's not immediately dying. Mm -hmm. pH is 7.3, PCO2 is 63, bicarb is 29, and you have a base of 3. Now, just remember what I had mentioned before. What happened? Oh, you went Sorry. to the wrong quiz. That's okay. fine. 7.3. I expect with a 7.3 the PCO2 to be 60, yeah, right? Yeah, 60, right? But because the PCO2 is 63, then I expect the pH to be 7.2, 7. 7. right? 7.4, uh, 7. yeah, 7.2. 7. 7? Yeah, 7.23. Yeah, okay. We'll say. But it's 7.3. So... The PCO2, the, the pH is acidotic, but less acidotic than I anticipated it so to be. So you should have metabolic alkalosis with partial respiratory compensation? Close. The PCO2 is elevated, so I know it's respiratory acidosis. My primary problem here, I know, uh, is respiratory with, oh, acidosis. Oh, so it's the opposite, really, with partial metabolic compensation. Correct. Uh, right. You get a prize on that one. <laughs> Good one. Okay, quiz three, PaO2 is 93, this patient's oxygenated, great. PCH is 7.29, so that is a little acidotic, but the PCO2 is 41, so that's, that's normal. normal. So we should have so a pH we have, I'm gonna, around 7.4. Let me reverse this, I'm gonna put down, I'm gonna put an arrow down, I'm gonna put that's normal. Our bicarb is only 15, that's down, and our base is slightly decreased, okay? So with a, with a decreased pH and a normal PCO2, it's not respiratory because my PCO2 is normal. Right, so it's got to be uh, meta metabolic acidosis. Correct, metabolic acidosis. Exactly, very good. Quiz four, PO298, pH is acidotic, down. PCO2 is 26, that's also down. down. Bicarb is down. The base is not that low, but there's a reason for that, which we can discuss. So my pH is low, it's acidosis. Mm -hmm. My PCO2 is low, my pH should be, should be very high. Right. My bicarb is very low. So I know there's, this should be, this PCO2 should reflect metabolic alkalosis but I am still acidotic. The 13 bicarb means I'm metabolically acidotic. Mm -hmm. So would it be respiratory acidosis? Clearly not. No. Metabolic acidosis with partial respiratory compensation? Well, it's metabolically acidotic and the, P, the PCO2 Too is low. low. And my base X, my base deficit is not nearly as low as I, was, as I would right. expect the bicarb to be. So this is a possibility. I'm mm -hmm. gonna put a question mark right now. Metabolic acidosis? Well, yeah, there is a metabolic acidosis. This not... patient is metabolically acidotic, but there's something else. There's something else for sure. Respiratory acidosis with partial metabolic compensation? Can't be, the no. patient's not at respiratory acidotic. Respiratory alkalosis with metabolic compensation? 
Now that could be a question mark. And metabolic alkalosis, which it's not metabolically it's not, it's for with acidotic. respiratory compensation. Okay, so it's either two or three. Well, no. Oh, it two could or be, five, right. could be metabolic. Uh, no, it's not metabolic alkalosis, metabolic acidosis. Yeah, so this goes out. It's two or five. So it's two or five. Which is it? Two or five. Respiratory alkalosis. So I think it's two. Meta you think it's two? Yeah, right. Metabolic acidosis with respiratory compensation. No. Yes, that's what I think it is. I, you are correct. Yeah, because the, the PCO2 is low. So and that's you, the clue. And, and that is the clue. And you are correct. This is the last one. Okay. PO2 is 71. pH is 7.14. PCO2 is 60. Bicarb is 15. Base is minus 9. That's what you would expect, right? Mm -hmm. Mixed respiratory. So what is our problem here? Do we have mixed respiratory and metabolic acidosis? Well, we have a respiratory acidosis. Yep. And we have a metabolic acidosis for yep. sure. So this is a possible. Do we have respiratory alkalosis? No. no. Do we have metabolic no. alkalosis? No. We do not is have it normal? No. Hell no. Metabolic acidosis? We do have metabolic acidosis. And we do have respiratory I think it's, it acidosis. Has be, it has to be one. It's it mixed. is number one mixed. Very good. We get to spin the wheel for you. <laughs> for me? You did good. <laughs> you never get the wheel spun for you, and I'm going to spin it. All right. Okay. You get a prize today. Please can don't I, give me extra call. Can I, can, I, can I get a goat? Can I get a goat, please? Oh, a real goat? Yeah. Mm -hmm, he's okay. got it right there. Thanks. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Let's let's do this. Let's, okay. Let's. I'm gonna kind of pick a different spot for it. If you give me aortic dissection, my afternoon surgeon's gonna be very mad at you. Here we go. What is Tammy gonna win today? <laughs> Come on, Amazon. Amazon gift yes! card. Yes. Good job. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you all. Next um, week, we've got Tuesday. Is it next week? Yes, Tuesday, no, 8 a.m. it can't be next week. It is. It can't be next week. It is. It's Tuesday, 8 a.m. We've got Journal Club, and we'll, we'll be talking about the inflammatory process in air, I yes, believe. Yes, and biocompatibility. Air, inflammation, and biocompatibility, followed by John Ingram, yep. urine output on CPB. That'll be when is Wednesday enough enough? at 1500, and then... Uh, I have a talk on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, 8 a.m., same time, yep. on does ultrafiltration reduce urine output on CPB? What is the evidence? Yep. Okay, so, very good, because I hear people say all the time, oh, don't ultrafiltrate, it'll reduce urine output. Okay, so I'm not going to, I don't want to bias what I think, okay, or what, the, what, what my data tells me or what the data says. Um, everyone is entitled to be wrong. Leave it to next week. Please. Leave it to next week. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please join us for PerfWeb 78 and have a great rest of your week.